Welcome to the Hopeless Wonder Podcast Extra, episode 27, with me, Adam Gipke. And this week, I've got two new guest co-hosts. So that's right, listener, no Andy or Craig this week. So they've taken some well-earned time off. So let me introduce you to this week's Craig and Andy. Uh, replacing Andy is one of our previous guests, fresh from his recording on the new podcast and working on the great footy magazine these football times we have josh butler so josh almost a like for like replacement but you've got more hair and you don't make hilarious suggestions so um thanks for coming on how have you been keeping mate yeah thanks for having me again it's good to be back uh yeah i've been keeping pretty well uh the uh, norwegian elite syrian begins soon so um as soon as the premier league ends i can get straight into some scandinavian football so all is well in my world I can't wait to see some more additions, that's for sure, from you guys. So, yeah, looking well forward for that. And uh, replacing Craig, we've got a different shade of blue today and last Glaswegian tone as well. So he's the other half of the Blues Brothers podcast. We welcome Charlie Patrick. So, Charlie, great to have you on. I've noticed you've been glad to be back at work as well. So that's great to hear. But more importantly, you've been also cheering on those Chelsea results of late. So how have you been keeping? Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to make an appearance on the podcast. Um, so really looking forward to this one. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely great to be back at work, back into the swing of things. And yeah, as you said, the Chelsea results recently, uh, really since Tuchel came in, have been fantastic. So that always brightens the mood as well. So guys, we might as well start into it and get into those Champions League matches. So we'll start off with your own team, Charlie. So Chelsea drew one all with Real Madrid, uh, thanks to that Pulisic intro out the inside the first 14 minutes unfortunately Benzema scored within 20 minutes um, but it was a really strong performance by Chelsea I thought really looked great on the counter um, Werner had a great chance um, to make it even more but we'll talk about that in detail um, but yeah that second half kind of was dominated by the weather really and I think that had an effect in terms of the overall second half but I think Chelsea would probably be more satisfied, would you say, Charlie, on the result? Oh, 100%. I mean, it's kind of mixed feelings a little bit. Obviously, we've been offered that result at the start of the night, the away goal, mm. really in the driving seat in the tie. You would have taken it, but the context of how the game panned out and not so much the second half, but definitely the first half, um, the dominance and how we were quite easily getting in behind and the amount of opportunities yeah. we created, particularly with Werner missing that guilt edge opportunity. It's just, it's so frustrating. We just have to hope that that doesn't kind of come back to haunt us. I think it did help us with, uh, surprisingly, seeing Zidane matching us up with three at the back, which I wasn't expecting at all. And it didn't really work out for them at all in that first half. Um, I yeah. thought we were dominant, as you mentioned, very dangerous on the counter-attack through Werner, uh, Pulisic, Mount was was doing, was doing business as well in the final third. It was just really disappointing to be undone by a set play because we've done so well defensively uh, since Tuchel's come in. And it was just really frustrating to, to be not just beaten in the first ball from a set play, but to then be beaten at the second ball as well. Aspilicueta, I don't like to criticise him too much. He's been an outstanding servant to the club and he's and he's done really well this season. But it was really weak effort um, at the back, uh, at the near post, getting beaten in the air there. And Benzema, who... I think is really underrated as a as a footballer. Doesn't really get the credit he deserves. Dispatches a great finish, and uh, um, that was their only shot on target in the whole game. Um, second half, 
yeah, weather terrible. I don't think I've ever seen weather that bad in Spain. Well, definitely not watching a football match. It was, te- it was dreadful. Um, but yeah, it kind of just cancelled each other out in the second half. Madrid went back to the back four, looked a lot more solid. But I mean, all in all, can't be too disappointed. Just have to hope that the missed opportunities don't come back to haunt us in the second leg next week. And Josh, I mean, looking at the Real Madrid performance on that night, I felt like, almost felt like they were fatigued or tired. But, you know, you can't underestimate Real Madrid. They seem to have quality inside that team. But certain players like Kroos, for example, just seem to be like really lacklustre in that performance. I mean, do you expect there to be a better Real Madrid for the second leg? Yeah, you'd expect so. But then I guess they're, they're also been dragged into a title race, which is something that they're not used to rely on most years because either Barca will win it clear or they will win it clear. I mean, so I, that's probably fatiguing them from one point. But by the same token, it's not really a vintage Real Madrid side. So if ever you're going to beat Real Madrid to the Champions League, it's going to be this year. Because, um, I mean, if you look, I think it's over the last is it the last seven years, or especially when they had Ronaldo, Benzema and Bale up front, if they appeared in a final, they won it. Um, they didn't lose the final. I think it was four that Ronaldo won with them because he won one with us and then four yeah. with Real Madrid. So it feels like, especially for Chelsea, like if you're going to win the Champions League and you have to get past Madrid, then this is the year that you're likely to do it. Um, I mean, like that being said, like they may not have the front three that they used to have, but they've still got the same midfield, yeah. Kroos, Modric and Casemiro. And like it's so difficult to get the ball off them. And if you do get the ball off them, you know Casemiro is going to be hunting you down within seconds. Um, so it's like it's not it's not a foregone conclusion that Chelsea will go through. But I, I genuinely genuinely would favour Chelsea in this one. I mean, I think I think one of my favourite stats from the game was I think Christian Pulisic is now the top scoring American in the Champions League, six having now outscored Demarcus Beasley. So. I thought that was quite nice. But one thing I wanted to ask you, Charlie, is how mature Mason Mount seems to be getting within time. He seems to be growing as an individual. But like I saw him kind of coming off and really being an attacking threat for Real Madrid. And, you know, they were scared of him, clearly scared of him. And I have to put my hands up and say I wasn't one of his biggest fans earlier this season, but certainly starting to appreciate his game a lot more. Um, do you think Tuchel has added to his game? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree. I was, I remember sort of towards the start of the season when Lampard was still there, I was I was a little bit critical of him myself as well, just in terms of the fact that obviously all the minutes he was playing and the area he was playing on the pitch, he wasn't, wasn't really contributing enough in terms of goals or assists or influencing games. So that was kind of one of the big criticisms I, I kind of had of him earlier on in the season. But in fairness, since Tuchel's come in and I think the change of system and him sort of now not playing in a number eight position, but being moved a lot further up the pitch into what Tuchel's referred to as one of the kind of two 10 positions, like a left 10 or a right 10. That seems to have moved his game on endlessly because he looks such such a threat now. He's like confident getting on the ball. You know, he can receive it on the half turn. He's dangerous. He's always looking to play people in behind. He's got a good set piece on him. He's got you know he's got good shooting from distance as well, and he's probably he's our most important he's our most important player. I'd argue in a in a in an attacking sense, from all the money we've spent on summer summer arrivals and the attacking positions, it's actually Mason Mount. He's probably our most important player at the moment. 
And I think we have to bring up the topic of Timo Werner. Uh, we had a question from the gate crashed home brewer who asked Timo Werner in or out. I had a look at his stats. So within 25 appearances in the Premier League, he scored six goals, six assists. Now, also an interesting stat is he plays better when he's, he's the focal point rather than on the wings or in a different position. I was comparing his record against other strikers. So the likes of Shea Adams, for example, has scored more. Neil Mope scored eight. Jared even Bowen, eight. And even Jesse Lingard, who only joined West Ham in January, scored nine goals. Um, a funny tweet that I saw after that result was, if Werner had shot Tupac, he'd have been 49 by now. I think that kind of sums up the move around Werner right now. Um, but, I mean, it's just one of those. I do feel sorry for the guy. But, yeah, there's some criticism out there. Given especially Tammy Abrahams is sat there on the bench doing nothing right, Charlie. So, um, I know you've spoken quite extensively on your own pod around whether it's time to kind of change it up or... And I know you've been talking about transfer targets in the summer, but yeah, what's your opinions on Werner? I mean, do you think he needs time? Because, you know, it's taken them most foreigners about a year before they get adjusted to the Premier League. I mean, I can remember the likes of Didier Drogba didn't have a great first season for Chelsea, but blossomed thereafter. So do you think the same It could be said about Werner right now? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, look, as you said, you just reeled off those numbers compared to other strikers who, no disrespect to them, obviously aren't anywhere near as good, but they have scored more goals. So if you're looking at Timo Werner's um, season based on like his goal contributions and his assists, etc., then yeah, it would have to go down as a, as a poor season to date. I don't think anyone can argue with that. Um, but in terms of you know, in recent weeks, he, he has contributed, not necessarily goals, but particularly, um, I remember in the win away at Liverpool at Anfield, I know everyone was winning at Anfield at that point, but he's very dangerous in behind and he does tend to always play um, with against teams that play a high line. I think that he, And arguably, I know it's funny with his lack of goals, but he's probably one of our most dangerous attackers and the front line with him in it is actually a lot more effective than with him not in it because you've got that outlet and that out and out pace in behind I mean another example was the Manchester City game um again at Wembley he was he was fantastic in that game um I just think it's a lack of consistency and almost perhaps a lack of confidence in front of goal but I don't he shouldn't be written off just yet as you mentioned it does it can take players a lot longer to settle in um, but certainly if we're having this conversation this time next season and it's the same kind of issue, then, yeah, you do have to perhaps start to question his future. But regardless of um, how he's done this season, we definitely need to bring in someone that can put the ball in the net on a more consistent basis if we're going to push on and really challenge for the title next season at all. And Josh, I mean, if anything, there should be more criticism around Kai Havertz and the performances he's been doing. I mean... We've probably only seen the best of him versus Crystal Palace a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, Werner, what's your thoughts on him? See, I, I always rated Werner, but then I was having a look today because I thought Timo Werner might come up after he missed that absolute howler. And I think I'm right in saying that his expected goals in the Premier League are 12.5 and he's actually only scored six. So he's massively underperforming. Not just in terms of, because you, you could argue that oh, if he's not getting service and he's not scoring goals, fair enough, but he is getting service and he is getting in the right spots. He's just not finishing. Um, 
And maybe that is a confidence thing. Because, I mean, like, he's gone from RB Leipzig, who are, you know, a, a decent-sized club in Germany, to Chelsea, who are enormous. But then, by the same token, Chelsea do have a bit of a track reputation of destroying good speakers. Adrian Mutu, Matija Kesman, Andrei Kovenko, Hernan Crespo. Like, if you're good and you played in Europe and you come to Chelsea, you flop, unless you're Didier Drogba or Diego Costa. Um, but I can't imagine something like that would be playing on Werner's mind. I think it's probably the fact that he's come in under Lampard, it's then changed to Tuchel, and he just seems to be finding his feet a little bit. I assist with him. I'm not sure whether sometimes, like, I know you were saying that he plays well against a, a high defence, a bit like Jamie Vardy, to so much room to run in behind. Like, anyone with half a brain that's coming up against Chelsea and the Timo Werner's playing the lone striker role, they will just drop 10 yards deeper so we can't run in behind. So you wonder whether sometimes it wouldn't be a bad idea to play him off Olivier Giroud and just give him a foil to work off. Because Olivier Giroud will occupy both centre-halves because he's just massive. He's yeah. such a when the ball goes forward, might just open up a few pockets of space for Werner to exploit. But then, if you put Giroud up front and you play Werner off him, you then probably lose Mason Mount, because Mason Mount likes to float around in that space. So I don't know how you fit all of Chelsea's attacking players in. And like Kai Havertz, where does he feature if you yeah. play Giroud and Werner? It's a headache, but I suppose it's a good headache to have. It's better to have six yeah, players definitely. in four positions than one player for four positions, isn't it? So how do you think the second leg is going to play out, Josh? Because it sounds like Sergio Ramos will be returning for that as well. Uh, I know he's a bit of a shithousery expert as well. So I'm expecting him to play those tactics against Chelsea as well. But yeah, how do you think it's going to play out? Well, yeah, because he's the king of bastardry, isn't he? But I suppose it's like one of those things, isn't it? Like psychological, having Sergio Ramos in your side, like even though he's not the defender that he used to be and he's been out for a long time, in terms of the mentality that he brings to a side, he organises people and he drives people on. So in your side, I think he's always going to make you a better team. But honestly, I still think Chelsea will probably go through. Um, I just don't think Real Madrid have the goal threat that they used to have um, when they had Ronaldo and Bale, I mean, which is fair enough. I think um, with it being... It's, it's at home as well. It's a Stamford Bridge, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah so they've got the away goal. Um, so Real Madrid really have to come out and attack. But I reckon Chelsea could exploit them on the counter, especially with Pulisic and with Werner up front with that pace in behind because Ramos is not quick anymore. And Varane is not the quickest. I reckon I reckon Chelsea could nick it. I really do. And Charlie, I know you probably don't want me to ask you for a prediction, but um, I think Chelsea obviously got a strong enough backline, especially with two cool kind of reaffirming that with the likes of Jorginho or Kante in that middle park. Um, what do you reckon? How do you think it's going to play out? I mean, I think it's going to be a close game. I don't expect either side to kind of run away with it. I think it will be a goal in it either way or perhaps another draw. Um, again, Real Madrid, as um, Josh has mentioned previously, not vintage um, of previous years. Obviously, missing some big players in terms of Ronaldo, Bale, etc. Hazard hasn't hit the heights that was expected of him. And I look at Real Madrid and just think that if you stop carrying Benzema, there's not really any goals in that side. I know Vinicius Jr. does sometimes pops up here and there at a goal, but in terms of out-and-out goal threat, if you can keep Benzema relatively quiet, you sort of stop Madrid from scoring, really. Um, yeah, I agree with the points that Werner and Pulisic pace in behind an ageing Ramos will be a key factor. Um, and defensively, I think we are solid enough, but we've got to be 
bang on it. We, I think I'd hate to see us turn up and try and play for like a nil-nil in terms of just sitting back and knowing we don't have to score because it's always dangerous to invite that pressure onto yourself. I think we just need to go into this match at scratch and just think, right, we need to win this. It's a one-off game and we need to win because, as I said, if you start sitting back, oh, we don't need to score, you start making mistakes, you invite pressure onto yourself and then the offer ends in disaster. But no, I am confident. I do think we can go through. I think we'll score. So, yeah, I'd have to fancy us. But again, this Madrid side, they've got the players, the experience. They've been here so many times before. And this group of Chelsea players obviously don't have the big experience of these European nights, particularly in the Champions League. So you're just, got to have, just going to have to hope that that lack of experience perhaps doesn't cost us. But I definitely feel a lot com- more confident after the first leg. And hopefully we can get the job done. So we'll move on to the game that played out last night, which is Wednesday night. And uh, boy, did we get a game. So Man City played PSG and Man City won 2-1, thanks to goals from De Bruyne and Mares. Marquinhos obviously was the unlikely uh, hero for the first goal for PSG, um, scoring from a corner. Um, I have to say, he ran off Gundogan so easily to score that opener. And PSG did look frightening for that first half. But second half, completely different story. Man City came at them. Um, you could say Navas or Navas was to blame for that equaliser because that De Bruyne ball was finally flighted in. But for some reason, just didn't anticipate the ball. And then I don't know what was going on for that free kick wall. But uh, more holes in that than a cheese grater, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, Really sealed by Adrissa Gay's kind of living his inner Roy Keane moment, I suppose, getting sent off 12 minutes from time. And Pochettino looked in despair from that, I suppose. I think he struggled to kind of work out where he'd gone wrong in that second half. Um, but yeah, get you your guys' thoughts on the game itself. Um, start off with yourself, Josh. I mean... Yeah, game of two halves, wasn't it? Literally two halves. Yeah, it was. But I mean, being a Man United fan and also a football fan in general, I decided not to watch a game between two oil-rich sports-washing entities. Just, I fucking hate Man City. (laughs) I can't can't stand them. And I can't stand PSG either. I mean, I saw saw the Mahrez goal just because it was on Twitter and I was like, oh, PSG can't build their own wall. Doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I could not care less which one of those two gets through to the final because I want Chelsea or Madrid to just smash them. I hate them both. So, <laughs> everything that's wrong with modern football, and I know we'll come on to the European Super League later, but they are indicative of why traditional, I hate to use the word legacy football fans because it's so insulting, but why proper yeah. football absolutely despise some of the facets of modern football um yeah so that was a slight tangent no i didn't watch the game um <laughs> good on them for playing football well done then okay charlie so i might direct this question to you so john asked us what was our views on neymar's antics at trying to get kevin de Bruyne sent off um what did you make of his overall game as well to be fair, I thought, in fairness to Neymar, I thought he was pretty good in the first half, like a lot of like like PSG were as a whole. But then whatever happened at half-time, I don't want to discredit City because they came out and massively improved their game. But PSG just seemed to lose their heads completely um, and just imploded, um, summed up by, obviously, as you mentioned, Drissagay's horrific challenge. And also just the petulance, you know, but it's, it's what you expect of Neymar. It's like, you know, he knows exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to get players sent off, trying to gain a bit of an advantage. Um, yeah, you don't like to see it, but 
he's not the only one. You see it every week. No. All It happens all the time, every single game. Players try and gain an advantage, get someone sent off, go down, you know, when they've barely been touched, get a, get a break in play, etc. So, I, I mean, I can't be too critical of him on about that because you'd have to criticise numerous players on that pitch that night as well for doing the exact same thing. Um, yeah, he didn't have one of his best games. I thought Mbappe was pretty anonymous as well. Uh, yeah. Diaz and Stones kept those two pretty quiet. I have to say, out of the three of them, I thought Di Maria probably had the best game out of the uh, PSG's front three. He looked he looked pretty dangerous. Um, but again, just you could you could almost argue, not saying that City didn't deserve to win, but I think as Pochettino said after the game, both City's goals were just complete errors, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know what it is with free kick walls at the moment. We saw it with Ronaldo turning his back on the wall against Porto, and now and now this one here. I I I I don't really get it because that free kick the wall just stood there. It's got it's a terrible free kick. It's just straight in the wall. Um and yeah, I mean the first one like I can I can understand a little bit why Navas hasn't come for that. He's probably anticipating a touch, but there's not a lot of whip or pace on that ball. And you would you should think that a goalkeeper of his quality with the amount of Champions Leagues that he's won etc. should be able to just get across and, and and deal with that. But ultimately, City were deserved winners and. You'd have to say one foot in the final, but if any side can go to the Etihad um, and score a few goals away from home, then it's definitely PSG, as we've seen them win 4-1 in the new Camp and 3-2 in Munich. So I wouldn't entirely rule them out, but yeah, City were fantastic on the, in, on the night, particularly in the second half. But what did you make of Pep Guardiola's game management? Because he always seems to screw up at this stage of the Champions League. And I have to say, maybe you got it right on the night, um, but something inside of me tells me that maybe the second leg isn't going to be as straightforward as we know Pochettino likes to take his teams and play attacking football. So, um, yeah, did you think he got it right in the end? Yeah, I, 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 you, I mean, it's hard to argue with it, really. You know, they've won, they've gone to Paris, they've won the game and they're, and it, and it's they're halfway to the final. So I think it'd be hard to, to argue that he, that he didn't get it right. Um, come to expect it, um, you know, basically six midfielders playing, um, you know, no centre forward. Um, I, I, just a, a point on that as well, I find it fascinating that a team like, you know, that good doesn't really need a number nine to operate or a central striker. You know, Aguero doesn't even get off the bench, doesn't use Jesus. And it's all season they've gone with it. Um, and they haven't seemed to have struggled in any competitions, really. So I think that's testament to you know, his coaching ability and how he's got those players to to play that false nine role. But yeah, I think he got it right on the night. Um, but again, as you say, he had, like this is a big test for him, second leg. You know, Pep's not won the Champions League since 2011, I don't think. Didn't win it at all at Bayern. And obviously his record at City has not been so good. So there's big pressure on this one for him. And, you know, as Potter has done before, when he went there with Spurs, when City were heavy favourites to go through on that one, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, I expect them to probably go through, but I wouldn't completely rule out another kind of Champions League meltdown for City and PSG to go there and get a couple of goals and, and end up going through themselves. And seeing as we know what Josh's thoughts are on that overall game, I'm not going to ask him for who he thinks is going to go and progress to the next round, should we say, in the final. Um, but yeah, what do you think Pochettino has to do in that second leg to turn it around? Basically, just play how they did in the first half of the, of the game last night for the whole match. 
They've got to be tight defensively. Um, again, one thing I would say about PSG is for all the talent they've got going forward, I think the mid, I think the midfield's good. Obviously, Adrisa Gay is going to be missing. I think Paredes is is, is a good player. Obviously, Ander Herrera will most likely slot in alongside him and Marco Verratti. Um, but otherwise, I probably wouldn't expect any changes to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, Marquinhos is a good is a good defender. I'm not so sure on Kimpembe. And then the fullbacks yeah. are a little bit... I've got to say the fullbacks are a little bit suspect. Um, I mean, backup. It wasn't dreadful, but he's no, one of them which you could probably get at him quite easily. And Florenzi on the other side, on loan from Roma. I mean, I, I don't think he's that great. So they're going to have to be on top of their game defensively. But, if you know, if they can just get balls in behind, you know, Neymar, Di Maria and Mbappe, then there's definitely goals there for them to get. They've just got to put the whole package together, which, they, which they've shown they can do this season. But ultimately, I think it's probably just going to be a little bit too much for them. Talking of being Spursy, uh, Man City won on Sunday against Spurs 1-0, uh, thanks to a Laporte header from a free kick. Um, I have to say, it was probably the most boring final I've seen for a while. Um, very easy win for City and a really dominated play. I know uh, we use the term Spursy quite a lot when we talk about Spurs, but even Jamie Carragher kind of rightly called out that Ryan Mason had a clear plan, but clearly the players either lack confidence or belief at the moment. Um, summarised by Harry Kane's interview midweek, where he was saying how disappointed the season has been and how he's obviously maybe potentially going to reflect on his career and what could have been. Um, and we had a question from a listener, Matt, that asked us, was that the worst ever performance from a team in a final? Um, get your thoughts, Josh, on this. I mean, from, from my point of view, the only time I can remember a team as bad as Spurs is probably when Man City beat Watford 6-0, I think it was, on an FA Cup final. And that was just down to pure quality, I think it was, on the day. Um, here, it was just more a lack of effort, left lack of trying. And even Harry Kane seems like he was rushed to be at that final. He didn't look like the Harry Kane that we all know. So, yeah, what did you make of that final? Uh, again, it was Man City, so I, I didn't watch it because <laughs> Man City. Um, but in terms of what was the worst performance in the cup final, um, didn't, didn't Swansea win the League Cup by battering someone about 5 nil. They're beating from... Bradford City. That was it. That was probably the worst performance I'd seen, but only because like the gulf between the two teams was just vast, Premier League against League Two. Um, but with City, like, you just kind of expect they're going to win it these days. I think it's four in a row now they've won, Carabao Cups. Mm. I mean, like, Man United win three league championships in a row, so City have got to do their best. Four League Cups in a row. Like That's, that's not bad. That's, that's the level they're at, which is fine. You know, not everyone can be Man United. Um, but I, I don't know. Like When it comes to Spurs, I feel like... I know people make this joke about Spurs being Spursy, but I genuinely think it's coming to the point now where Harry Kane is probably for the first time seriously considering his future because he's been probably top three out-and-out strikers in the world for the last six or seven years. I mean, there's an argument to say at times he's probably been the top one. Um, maybe Suarez or Lewandowski, but the fact that he's 27, 28 in June or July, I think, and he's got, what, what's he got to show for it? A, a 
Carabao Cup runners up. And Audi, Audi Cup from pre season. Oh, yeah, Audi Cup. That's, yeah. that's on his mantle. He's guaranteed yeah. centre stage. <laughs> but, like, he's a man that, is, that could genuinely break Alan Shearer's goal scoring record. He's been England's best striker since Alan Shearer. He's been one of the best strikers in Europe, and he's got nothing to show for it. So, I, you do wonder whether this is the year that he decides to go to, hesitate to say, a big club. Spurs are a big yeah. club. One of the truly elite like a City or a United or a Real Madrid or someone like that. I, I genuinely think he's going to move. But I also might just contradict myself. I don't think he'll move abroad because I genuinely think that he wants to break Alan Shearer's record. So I think it'll be one of the elite English clubs that he will flirt with. Um, I'd like United, but I don't know. He might he might fit Man City, to be honest, because they, they play without that out-and-out number nine. And Harry Kane has proven this season that He's something of a nine and a half. He can drop in the hole if necessary, let the wingers run in behind him. So it's probably going to be the worst outcome for Spurs that they might have lost a cup final, but I think it's going to cost them Harry King. What do you make of the rumours around Eric Den Haag? So it sounds like obviously Spurs are targeting him as the next Spurs manager. Sounds like he probably might fancy a challenge himself to test himself at a bigger league as well. He's done quite well at Ajax, but I think clearly... He wants that chance. Um, he was rumoured to be taking over RB Leipzig as well before Jesse Marsh was confirmed midweek. Um, yeah, do you think that would be a good fit? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, the, the way that Ajax play, like it's in fact, um, we've done a magazine on them at these 40 times and the fact that the style of football that's ingrained in them is attractive and attacking and rotating and free-flowing. And I, I think that Mourinho was just a bit of the antithesis when it came to Spurs. They come from Pochettino, who played attractive football. Might not have necessarily won anything, which I know his detractors will point out very quickly, but Spurs played nice football and they got close to winning something. Whereas I think they went the total opposite way of Mourinho in that they thought they were going to get someone who was going to win something, but his football was dire. So I think... Um, Eric Ten Hag might be a better fit for Spurs because at least he's got some young, hungry players there that he can play in a sort of an Ajax way. Play good football before you start winning competitions. Mm. I think it would be a good appointment. What about you, Charlie? I mean, obviously Mourinho is kind of a legend at Chelsea, but it seems like he hasn't diversified his game at all over the last 10 years. Um, shame to see someone who's been as prestigious as him Self, like winning trophies wherever he's been apart from Spurs and that might be due to the fact that he got sacked before he had the chance to do so um, but yeah I mean Eric Den Haag probably a very attractive playing coach um, would you be scared if he was at Spurs? No to be honest I mean for him if he's offered the job which he could well be um, I think it's a no-brainer to move from to move from Ajax to Tottenham is a massive step up and it's an opportunity to test himself at a Premier League club and whatever you say about them not winning trophies I, I do ultimately think it, it, it is a big job you know it's the stadiums probably one of the best stadiums in the world and it's the London lifestyle which is quite attractive to a lot of these foreign managers um, but for whoever ends up with it it's a massive to-do list for Spurs because the chances are the next manager as you touched on may not have Harry Kane at his disposal um, there's a lot of dead wood in that squad. 
Um, I think there's a lack of quality. The attacking, they go with the three, the attacking three providing Kane stays, you know, Son, Lucas Moura, mm. those options. That's that's not too bad at that end of the pitch. And perhaps Ndombele in midfield, I think, is a talented player who we've not quite seen the best of yet. But the rest of the pitch is just, for me, quite frankly, is so average. It's unbelievable. Um, yes, Lloris has won a World Cup, but that was about three, four years ago now. He's got mistakes in him. The defence isn't good enough. Aurier is just calamity, really. And yeah, okay, Regulon, you know, he's he's not been too bad this season. But yeah, it's a massive to-do list. And, you know, whoever comes in is not going to... It's not going to suddenly just, you know, make Spurs suddenly be top four and contending for trophies. I think a lot of Tottenham fans who wanted Mourinho out, look, the football was poor. Yep, yeah, I, I have to agree. But I think they'll come to realise that when the next person comes in, it's not suddenly going to be all rosy. It's still going to be pretty poor because of the quality of players they've got. And ultimately, the mentality in that squad is shocking. Like, there's no winners in there at all. And they just seem to crumble all the time. There's a reason why that this season they've given away so many points from leading positions. Because, one, they're not good enough. And two, the mentality is poor. And look, Mourinho always plays at like, get one, shut up shop. And it's been successful for him over the years because of the quality of defenders he's had. If you look at it with Lucio and Walter Samuel at Inter Milan, obviously a prime Sergio Ramos. And I think he had Varane as well and Carvalho at Real Madrid. And at Chelsea, Terry and Carvalho or Terry and Gallas. He had the quality of players for that style of football to work. But obviously at Spurs, when you're trying to shut up shop with Eric Dyer and an aging Toby Alderweireld. Well, no wonder you're. Well, no wonder it's a problem. So yeah, it's a it's a massive issue for the next manager. And I think this appointment's got to be. There's big pressure on Levy now because they've spent all that money on the stadium. They're obviously paying it back still. And there's a need that stadium would have been built because they want to be playing Champions League football. And at the moment, they're they're a long way off it. And I think their top two targets have gone. And by all means, they wanted Nagelsmann, who's ended up at Munich. And Brendan Rodgers has publicly come out and said he's not interested. Now, we don't know, you know, you never know what happens in in football behind the scenes in these conversations. You know, he, he, he might change his mind, but I'd find that unlikely. So they're in a position now where there's not really that many managers that you'd look at and think, is our Spurs going to be, you know, going to be able to attract someone of quality to actually push this side to the next level? move to the other North London club and ask, what does Daniel Eek and the Arsenal fan TV have in common apart from clicks? Well, they both want Stan Kroenke out. So uh, Dan Eek, who, for listeners that may not know, he's the owner of Spotify. He made his intentions known last week that he's prepared to buy Arsenal Football Club. And uh, it's alleged that he's also prepared to get fan representation on the board. Um, on Tuesday morning, it was shared by Dennis Burkamp and Thierry Henry that they have been assisting it with the takeover. But Stan Kroenke came out with a statement saying not interested in selling the club. Um, and also a lot of the Arsenal fans were obviously creating for Kroenke himself to sell the club. Um, but the problem is, it seems like X doesn't necessarily have the funds to uh, kind of persuade Kroenke to move on um, even though he's got a rumoured wealth of 4.5 billion um, a lot of that is in assets that he'd need to sell off to actually raise the funds and Kroenke by all accounts is demanding 3 billion pounds for the club um, so yeah it's going to be very difficult to see if that's going to come to fruition 
Um, Charlie, we had a thought from one of our supporters and fans of the parties that asked us, do you think we'll see more proposal of takeovers for Super League clubs? Um, it's evident that Man United fans are craving this as well. So, yeah, obviously you're one of those clubs that were affected by this Super League announcement as well. Um, can't see Roman Abramovich being displaced anytime soon personally, and I think he still has a love for Chelsea. Um, but, yeah, just get your thoughts on the situation at Arsenal and just broadly around that question as well. Um, yeah, with the situation at Arsenal, I think from Eck himself, obviously co-founder of Spotify, as you mentioned, has got a lot of money behind him. I did see a few quotes from him saying that he did actually have the funds available. Um, and I think it's a smart move from him to try and get on board some playing legends in Henri, Vieira and Bergkamp to get some to get some backing behind mm. behind this bid from fan favourites. Yes, Cronkies have come out saying it's not for sale, but just like with everything, everything's got its price. So if the money is right, then they will sell. And if there's enough power behind getting them out from the fans, as we've seen with the Super League collapsing, then they will sell up and move on. So I don't expect it to be like a, something that will happen this summer or or whatnot, but I'd expect in the next year or two, the Cronkies probably will sell up and you will see a change of ownership at Arsenal. Um, in terms of the, of um, of other Super League owners being moved out, I think there's strong movements, as you mentioned, uh, FSG at Liverpool and the Glazers at United. Obviously, there's been strong protests outside those grounds. Um, obviously, some uh, fans got into Carrington uh, protesting, I think, last week to try and get the Glazers out. So I wouldn't be surprised to see... I'd probably say it was more likely at United than at Liverpool to see a change of ownership. Um, but yeah, I think it's a watch this space on those because if fan power gathers momentum like it can, then there may not be... These people might not actually have an option in, in terms of whether they want to sell up or not. They may be forced to. But in regards to Chelsea, I think, look, what Roman Abramovich has done for the club has been outstanding really you know rescuing us from potential you know going bust in essence when we had to beat Liverpool on that final day of the 2003 season to secure Champions League football he then buys us and kind of the rest is history from there he's someone that we don't we don't really hear from him very often you don't really know what's going on arguably possibly dodgy dealings of where he's got his money from you know mates with Putin all that sort of thing but in terms of what he's done for Chelsea I think it's been outstanding and look yeah I, I I suspect he probably was involved in the Super League talks somewhat, but I would imagine that I can't imagine Roman getting in on a Zoom call with, from his wherever he is, Russia or Israel or whatever country he's allowed in at the moment. I, I'd more put it down. I mean, there's going to be some blame on his part, but I'd more put it down on Bruce Buck and other executives yeah. in the boardroom rather than solely at Roman's door. Um, but yeah, no, I, I can't see him being forced out of Chelsea anytime soon. I think the only reason he would go is if he wanted to go and it'd be on his terms and Josh I don't know if you saw James Horncastle this week mentioning about the Super League and saying how um, although it's been seen as greed from the Premier League clubs he reflected on the fact that abroad it's seen as desperation because they actually need the money so the likes of say Florentino Perez recently said that the Spanish clubs actually need the money to survive right now which kind of shows you how desperate they are I mean, we've seen the stories about Barcelona and how much debt they've got. And I mean, the likes of Inter Milan, for example, are desperate to get some money in because they've got no real big assets apart from a playing squad. 
Um, and their owners currently have had funding cut back from the Chinese government as well. So they're in a desperate position right now. So what about abroad? Do you think we'll see some of those clubs being taken over? I'm not sure whether they'll be taken over. Um, I mean, I think I'm right in saying that Barcelona and Madrid are both fan-owned, aren't they? They're run by socios. Um, yeah. But I mean, the way Real Madrid were bailed out numerous times, weren't they, by the Spanish government, especially under Franco's regime. I mean, that can't happen anymore. Um, but you just feel like they've, but they've run themselves into the ground through their own making. I mean, I think. Do you remember when uh, Lionel Messi was making noises about moving Bar- moving from Barca last year? Yeah. Um, Pretty sure I read somewhere, I have to check the, the statistics, but I think something like 60% of their expenditure was on player wages. I mean, it's the amount of the money that they pay players is vast. I mean, like, the fact yeah. that shit creek without a paddle is no one else's fault other than their own. Um, yeah. But the club the size of Barcelona or the club the size of Real Madrid, like, I don't, I don't really know what they can do because their debts are enormous. Um, they can no longer be bailed out by their respective governments. I mean, who who has got the money required to buy Real Madrid? What are they worth? Five billion? I think they're the most expensive football club in the world, aren't they? Because um, yeah. you talk about how Stan Kroenke owns Arsenal and has valued that at three billion, which has obviously priced most people yeah. out of the market. Because in this day and age, this current climate with the pandemic, who is going to spend three billion on a football club? Um, but because it all comes down to the fact that all of these clubs, like we think of them as football clubs because we're football supporters, but to the people that run them, they're assets. And if you've yeah. stumped a billion pounds to buy an asset, you want to make sure that you get your returns on that year in, year out. So I can see why they wanted to form the European Super League because it's guaranteed returns every year. Um, but I think, I think I'm right in saying as well that Inter, because obviously they're on course to win the league, I think all of the players have won their bonuses for winning the league because the club is in that dire financial straits. Yeah. yeah, they've they but I I I honestly don't I think the European Super League will happen later down the line and I think these large European clubs that have run themselves on the ground are, are gonna rely on it. I think the can's just been kicked a bit further down the road, if I'm honest. Whilst we're on that theme, um, for the listeners' benefit, there's been some leaked tweets around government involvement with the Super League. So we've had Dan Rosenfeld, who is the chief of staff at Number 10 Downing Street, allegedly meeting up with Ed Woodward to give the green light for this project anyway. Um, The likes of Liverpool actually instigated that they wanted this to start earlier but they decided not to have it as early as the 15th of April because they didn't want this to be in the same line as the Hillsborough disaster itself in terms of the anniversary. So, um, yeah, it seems like on that Saturday night prior to the announcement, there's been some positive notes exchanged between the government and the Super League officials. And then upon the announcement and the fan furore around the reaction, Rosenfeld intervened the government in terms of pre-agreed statements to tone them down. Now, Edward Woods has denied his involvement, as he would do, and Boris Johnson is alleged to have said that he was against the announcement from the very beginning. But Charlie, uh, from your point of view, the government's involvement on this, um, yeah, just stinks of hypocrisy, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, they're all, ju- they're all just snakes at the end of the day. You know, it's just whatever they just say, whatever they do to protect their own backs. Um, Woodward, you can't tell me, like, do you honestly think that people are going to believe him when he's like chief exec at probably 
arguably the biggest football club in the world and what he had no idea the Super League was going to happen when Joel Glazer was appointed as vice president of the league. I mean, it's, 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 it's just laughable, some of these things. And, you know, in reference to the government, obviously, you know, with all the kind of corruption scandal going on there at the moment, they're probably just looking for either to make a, a quick few quid or just to, to try and gain some political points. So, you know, yeah, it just stinks of hypocrisy. And I think it's a good move that um, I'm not sure if either of you have seen it today, that um, the executives from those um, six Premier League clubs have now been removed from their roles on the, like, in like the Premier League meetings and the Premier League board. So I think that's a, I think that's a positive step forward because at the end of the day, those guys would have been in those meetings lying in, to everyone, knowing full well that if they'd got this through, they wouldn't have even been in that league next season or part of the Champions League or anything. So I think it's good that we get them out because how can you trust anything they say after they've kind of kept this one under wraps? But yeah, as you said, it's just hypocrisy at the highest level. But I don't think this is this won't go away. This will come back again at some point. And you'd like to think that they probably have it better planned and have a better idea of how they're going to try and get this through rather than what basically ended up just being a shit show, to be honest, from them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do agree that it will, it, it probably will happen at some point and they will come back again. It just depends what the resistance will be like this time. And Josh, I'm sure you're just glad to see the back of Ed Woodward after this as well. Yeah, absolutely. On on that whole thing about him meeting um, the Conservative minister as well. I mean, I was reading that when he resigned, he, he claimed that he resigned because he fundamentally could not support the European Super League, which I found interesting because he used to work for JP Morgan, which is the bank that is backing yes. the European Super yeah. League. And also, he was brought into Man United by Joel Glazer, I believe, or other way around. Ed Woodward helped facilitate Joel and Joel Glazer's takeover of Man United. Joel Glazer was, I think, one of the few people that actually put his name to the Super League proposal. So, like, it's got Edward's fingerprints all over it, and yet he's coming out and going, oh, well, no, I had to resign because I clearly couldn't support it. So this whole thing where he claims that he didn't have anything to do with the government in producing it, I'm like, it's bollocks, because yeah. you every stage. You clearly have spoken to the government, and because they're a bunch of snakes, they've also agreed and said, yeah, this would be great, absolutely fantastic, go ahead with it. And then realised, as the Tories often do, they've just pissed off everyone because they don't give a shit about anyone that is not at the top of the hierarchy. I think just everyone's lied all along the way and Edward got caught out and he's resigned almost like out of protest. He's been like, I've come up with this great idea with the Super League. It's going to be amazing. And everyone told him to fuck off and he was like, right, fine, I'm gone then. (laughs) And I'll lie about the scenario. So I'm so glad he's gone and I hope the Glazers follow him out. Um, But frankly, yes. When do you think the takeover is going to happen, mate? I, I would like to think soon, but I mean, like they saddled us with so much debt. I mean, could you imagine buying Man United? I think what was it? The Glazers? I think the Glazers were charged sixty million a year on the loans they took out against yeah. Man United assets. So, like, we are riddled with debt now, four hundred and fifty million. And somebody who wants to buy Man United has to buy that debt. I'm like, fucking thanks. <laughs> <laughs> if it's going to happen, like, it's going to have to take someone incredibly rich, and then. Sorry to go on a bit of a rant. I'm like, it's probably the only people that are going to be able to afford that is going to be some sort of petrol-funded golf state and then we're just going to be Man yeah. City. So, yeah. You know, what can you do? Probably be his cousin knowing Garlock. <laughs> yeah. 
Right, we'll move into some European action, and I think the best uncrept secret, should I say, uh, Nagelsmann becoming the world record signing for a manager. So 20 million signing from Leipzig. Um, Craig shared on the podcast that it was his dream uh, in terms of Nagelsmann anyway, because he's a Bayern Munich fan. Um, lots of hype around his arrival, um, but rightly as one of uh, the podcast fans, John Radcliffe, who right or is a podcaster for the Bundesliga Diaries, rightly tweeted out. Apart from hammering Bayern in a Pokal final, he's never really been close to winning a trophy. Um, meanwhile, at the same time, we saw Leipzig sporting director Marcus Kroescher also have his contract terminated. Um, but in replacement of Nagelsmann, it's now being confirmed Jesse Marsh will be moving from Salzburg to Leipzig to complete his uh, Red Bull journey anyway. Um, so, yeah, get your quick thoughts on this. Um, in terms of Charlie, Nagelsmann's been a really hyped-up manager. Um, do you think he's going to kind of overcome that kind of trophy parade and win some more with Bayern? Oh, you'd fully expect so. Um, it's kind of been the worst-kept secret in football, really. Um, he was obviously going to go from from Leipzig to Munich, as you mentioned. He's a he's a he's Munich born and bred, um, and it seems like the next logical step for him. You know, I think he's done a fantastic job at Leipzig. I mean, previously at Hoffenheim, he did a he did a pretty good job. Um, Leipzig, he kind of put them on the map in Europe. Um, in terms of, you know, that they made the Champions League semi-finals last year. I know it was like, obviously, it wasn't two legs. It was one leg uh, throughout the knockouts. But they still made the semi-finals last year. So, I think he's, he's putting them on the map. And, you know, they've, had, they've, they've come close a couple of times in the Bundesliga. I think he's an, exciting, mm-hmm. he's an exciting young coach. And, to be honest, I think whoever goes in at Munich, realistically, is almost guaranteed to win the league and kind of challenge you know, for the German Cup and, and for European honours. So I fully expect him to, to to win trophies there. It'll just be interesting to see how he implements his style of play on the group of players that Bayern have got. Bayern are obviously entrusting him to lead them through the post-Lewandowski and Neuer era um, and, and see see where it goes goes from there. But yeah, I think it was, it was a logical appointment. The only thing that disappoints me a little bit is just how how kind of one-sided the Bundesliga seems to be and just Bayern Munich just kind of dominate it in terms of, well, they got the be- they take all the best players from their rivals. They take the managers from their rivals. You'd never see in England, you know, the equivalent of, say, City win the league this year and United come second and Pep says he's leaving and then City just go, right, we'll have United's manager then. You, 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 just, you, just, you, just wouldn't, you just wouldn't see that. But I say in Germany, it's quite common practice. You know, Marco Rosa leaving yeah. Gladbach to go to to Borussia Dortmund. I just think in terms of how competitive the German league is, like it's a, it's a good league, but I think Bayern just sort of taking over they want, picking the talent, picking the best managers. I think it makes a bit of a mockery of the league and how competitive it actually is. I think it's turning into one of those now where like nine times out of 10, Bayern will win the league and you'll get one season where, you know, you'll get someone else that wins it. So I think it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a shame, but yeah, I fully expect him, him to do well in that job. And on that point, I think if there was a season to actually get at Bayern, it was this season. Mm. But for whatever reason, you know, Leipzig just didn't seem to get those results. I don't know if it's just the fact that they don't have, as you alluded to, the quality of players within that team. 
I mean, it probably didn't help that they sold quite a few of their players last summer. So the likes of Timo Werner, if he was in that squad, could they have maybe gone over the line and actually beaten Bayern to the title? Don't know. It's hard to say that in hindsight, right? But yeah, it does feel like there is that competitive edge at the moment that Bayern have got over their rivals. Um, yeah, what about you, Josh, in terms of, do you think this is the kind of final nail in terms of you know, getting more dominance in the Bundesliga and maybe in Europe as well? Yeah, I think the, the Bundesliga hasn't, although it's a very good standard of football, it hasn't really been competitive for a number of years now. I mean, when I was a teenager, I remember Werder Bremen winning the league, Stuttgart, I think yeah. I'm right in saying, God, Wolfsburg, yeah. um, and then Dortmund. So there was, there, was, there was five different winners in the space of like six years, but uh, uh, buying on for their ninth title in a row. I mean, I, I lose count. But then, yeah. like you say, they sign the best players and they get the best manager from their other domestic teams. So it's really difficult to see how they can be stopped. And I know you were saying, like, this was the year to get at them. But, I mean, you know, they, they've signed Meccano. So, I mean, in Upa Meccano and Sula, they've got the two best up-and-coming defenders in the league. Alfonso Davis. I mean, they've got Robin Lewandowski, who is 32, and you look at the way that Ronaldo, Ibrahimovic, even in other sports like LeBron James, are going till they're like 39, 40 years old. Yeah. Like, they get another five or six years out of Lewandowski, and he's absolutely world class. I can't see how Bayern don't win the league for the next three or four years on the track. It's, it's almost, it almost doesn't matter who they bring in to manage the side. Does it actually surprise you then? There seems to be a lot of rumours in the last few days about. Lewandowski's agent offering his services to other clubs and uh, I don't know if it's a rumour but I've seen it more than once now and it seems to be a trend that's catching on so it seems a bit of a surprise but you know what Bayern seem to do is they seem to move those players on at a certain age to then bring in the next generation of player do you reckon that might kind of see the likes of maybe a Haaland move into his spot? Yeah it'd be the logical progression doesn't it? I have a feeling Haaland's going to end up in England. I mean, he's been pretty vocal since he was 15 that he wants to play in England. And also, like he he has his career very carefully managed by his dad and by Mina Rola. He's like yeah. mould. And he was... I mean, I, there's a pretty famous game where uh, SK Bran were top of the league, unbeaten, and mould came up against them. And he scored four in 28 minutes and just took them apart on his own. And like since then... People have been raving about him, and like Juve wanted to sign him when he was at Mould, yeah, and, yeah. and effectively he's he's like he's he's managed his career so well, and that he's taken manageable steps, and that he went from Tipper Ligan, then went to Bundesliga, the Austrian version, then went to the German Bundesliga, and it feels like his next step is going to be La Liga or Premier League. Um, I don't know whether he would go to Bayern Munich. Um, I suppose with Lewandowski, when you were saying how his agent has been sort of making noises, you wonder whether it's just the fact that he's been there a number of years now and he has won literally everything he can win. He can win. Um, mm. He just wants a, a fresh challenge. I mean, it's not like, you know, when, I don't know, Gary Neville was at Man United his entire career or when Steven Gerrard was at Liverpool his entire career. He's like, you were born in and around the city. You came up through their academy, so they never wanted to play anywhere. Whereas Lewandowski is not munching born and bred. You know, he's not Bavarian. Maybe he probably doesn't feel that same sort of intrinsic love for the club and thinks 
if I can get a paycheck somewhere else, one last big gig, like a Real Madrid or something. I remember him trying to go on for that Real Madrid move a few seasons back, but I think Bayern were a different Bayern to the Bayern we've seen in over the last, say, two to three seasons, definitely. Um, yeah. But speaking from Lewandowski through a Polish media's perspective, he's kind of reflected that he's always been happy at Bayern and he's recently had a kid. Um, so, you know, him having to up sticks with family might be a bit of a difficult one as well. But like you say, maybe he does fancy a challenge. Um, Charlie, would you have him at Chelsea? Oh, 100%. I think his, his goal scoring record is is outstanding. Um, season after season for Munich, he just bangs the goals in for fun. Ultimately, last year, he was robbed of the Ballon d'Or because they cancelled the ceremony. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I fully suspect that he, he'll stay at Bayern Munich. I think he's probably at the age now where teams may take a chance on him. But in terms of his age, I don't think there's much there's much value in bringing him in. I think it would be a shame to realistically to not have seen him play somewhere else. I mean, he only realistically is. I, know, I think he started in Poland somewhere, but then realistically, he's only really played yeah. in the Bundesliga. It would have been nice to have seen him in in a La Liga or, or the Premier League. Um, but ultimately, you know, Bayern Munich's a massive football club, and Rick, why why would you leave there? Really, you know, you're guaranteed to win trophies, and you're part of a great side. But yeah, just from a personal point of view, it would have been nice to have seen him play his trade some, somewhere else, just to see if he could have cut it in other leagues. I think all those years ago, he could have been at Blackburn Rovers. Yeah. Um, I'll quickly summarise the results from the Bundesliga. Uh, so Augsburg lost 2-3 to Cologne. Leverkusen won 3-1 against Frankfurt. Uh, Wolfsburg lost again to Dortmund. Um, shocking stat I saw from this. In the last 12 games Wolfsburg have played Dortmund, they've lost 11 games against them and failed to score against them in nine attempts against Dortmund. So, shocking result. Uh, Mainz won 2-1 against Bayern. Union Berlin won 3-1 against Werder Bremen. Mönchengladbach won 5-0 against Belfield. And Leipzig won 2-0 against Stuttgart. Um, so, pretty much sewn up at the top of the table by Bayern. At the bottom, we've got, obviously, the favourites on the podcast, which is Schalke, who have been relegated. So, the teams really for the listener to look out for is really Frankfurt and Wolfsburg as they kind of gun it out for the third and fourth place. You've also got Dortmund and Leverkusen in that mix. And towards the bottom of the table, you've got the likes of Werder Bremen, Armenia Belfield, Cologne and Hertha Berlin. Hertha Berlin have got two games in hand over their opponents as well. And it is literally separated by, if I just quickly have a look, two points. So that's how tight it is at the bottom of the Bundesliga. Uh, we'll move on to Serie A. Now, not many results really to reflect on, apart from the fact that AC Milan have dropped like a ton. They are now in fifth place after so many weeks of being in the top two. They have now dropped to fifth place. Uh, Juventus have dropped to fourth. So we've now got Atalanta second behind Inter Milan and Napoli in third place. And even Lazio right now, who are in sixth place, currently five points behind AC Milan. There's only literally about three, four games to go in that Serie A league. Um, can't see them overcoming AC Milan. But yeah, I mean, the big news to come out of Serie A was Donnarumma, who has rejected his contract at AC Milan, so he becomes a free transfer in the summer. Now, um, rumours seems to be pointing to him maybe being signed by 
Juventus. I know um, Charlie, he's been rumoured with Chelsea numerous times as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if he's got it within him yet to kind of cement himself as being the top class goalkeeper. I mean, you've got so many goalkeepers right now, so I don't know where he would fit in a Chelsea squad right now. Um, where do you think would be the next progression for Donnarumma? Do you reckon he should go to Juventus, perhaps? Yeah, um, it's an interesting one because he's still a very young, very young guy. Um, but he's been around for for a long, long time. He's racked up a load of appearances for AC Milan. He's he's done he's done very well there. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure of him rejecting the contract. Is just down to wanting more money. I'd imagine it's probably him just kind of wanting to take the next step in his career. And it depends if he wants to stay in Italy. If he wants to stay in Italy, then I know Juventus aren't doing that well this year, but I kind of think it would be the logical step for him. It's it, like, look, it's the biggest club in Italy. They're probably going for a slight rebuild now as well. If they were to miss out on the Champions League, then I think Ronaldo might have to leave. They've got a lot of financial problems as well. So it would be a bit of a, a bit of a rebuild going on there. So possibly he could be, they could be building a young spine there, you know, if he were to go in goal with them delicting um, at centre-half and, um, you know, likes of McKenney and stuff in midfield, they could be building a bit of a younger spine there maybe. But I, look, don't get me wrong, I think he's a top quality keeper and I, I would love to see him at Chelsea. The only issue we've got is that if we, we, we were to bring him in, it means we'd have to sell one of Mendy or Kepa. And Mendy, who's only just arrived, is unlikely to be sold. So it's therefore, could we find a buyer for Kepa? And we'd have to take a, a big hit on it. Um, so I suspect that if a deal could be done, then we might go for it. But I think we've got other op- other areas of the pitch that are far more important to address yeah. than than the goalkeeping situation. So if I had to take a punt, I'd probably say he'd end up at, at Juventus. Mm. And Josh, do you share that point? Because I'm struggling to think off the top of my head where he would end up. I mean, there's not many clubs that are in desperate need of a goalkeeper, right? No, yeah, I, I think he'd end up at Juve. I mean, Wojciech Chesney has actually been pretty good for Juve, but he's not like yeah. a top of a keeper, is he? And same with Bayern Munich. Like, Juve just hoover up domestic talent, don't they? I mean, they've got uh, Kudasevsky off Palmer, Fede Chiesa, Fiorentina. So it wouldn't surprise me if they picked up Donnarumma, especially since he's on free as well. You get to weaken one of your rivals and you get a great player. So. So just to quickly do a summary of Serie A, so Lazio beat AC Milan 3-0 on Monday night. Uh, in terms of the weekend games, we saw Benevento lose 2-4 to Udinese. Fiorentina drew 1-0 with Juventus. Inter Milan won 1-0 against Verona. Calgary beat Roma 3-2. Atalanta won 5-0 against Bologna. And Torino lost to Napoli 2-0. Um, looking at the bottom of Serie A as well, um, very tight at the moment, only separated by literally two points between Calgary in 17th and Torino in 16th. And then we've got the likes of Spezia on 33 points and Fiorentina still in that mix on 34 points. So, um, yeah, a bit of a surprise if we see Frank Ribery in that mix as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll move on to La Liga, the league that no one seems to want to win at the moment. So, uh as it stands, Charlie, what was the final Barcelona result for today? Uh, they, they lost 2-1 to Granada at the at the new Camp, which is a bit, bit of a turn-up for the books. Uh, obviously missing out on their chance to go top. Just reflecting on the weekend's results, Atletico Bilbao beat Atletico Madrid 2-1. 
Real Madrid drew 0-0 with Betis and uh, Barcelona had beaten Villarreal on the Saturday 2-1. Sevilla also getting into some great form at the moment, um, beating Granada 2-1. So yeah, it certainly spices it up. Um, Josh, Atletico, um, that's some severe bottling because I think when we were talking about it back in January, they were on 50 points, well clear of the opposition in that respect. But yeah, I don't know what's happened with Simeone kind of tactics. He always comes to this point of the season where it's either tightness or just the players have had enough of him. I don't know what it is. But yeah, I mean, they can't cock this up, can they? Well, you think not. But I mean, I guess it's been it's been a gruelling season, hasn't it? What with the fact that last season effectively ran into this season. I mean, didn't Spain end up playing the Copa del Rey final from last year and this year, two weekends in a row? Yeah. Everything's been truncated everyone's been overloaded and um, obviously he doesn't have quite so deep a squad as Madrid and Barcelona so perhaps it's just sheerly the fact that he's simply running out of players that can run for much longer Um, it would be nice to see Atletico win it and just break up the sort of constant duopoly of Madrid and Barcelona because when was the last time Atletico won it It, was it 2017-18 or 2018-19 they won it didn't they on the very last day something like that yeah um, so they're due another one um, and I hope they don't bottle it but then by the same token the fact that they have been dropping points and also the fact that Messi has been inspiring Barcelona yet again to an incredible run of form has made La Liga very watchable for once anyway that's for sure <laughs> yeah right list now we will talk about the social media boycott um, so for your benefit from tomorrow, which is Friday the 30th of April, a lot of social media accounts, including footballers and any of those links with football, will stop posting until Monday the 3rd of May. Um, this is in response to abuse uh, of footballers and just generally the discrimination that is received by those platforms as well. Um, in reaction, I suppose, to the social media platforms to kind of put out some stronger action. Um, some points to kind of raise from this, um, something that Josh, you retweeted anyway, was uh, Lee Nickel, who's a women's footballer for Crystal Palace. She shared the extent of her personal abuse when her iCloud account was leaks and hacks uh, in 2019, showed a lot of sensitive material online, and she's really been brave in terms of showcasing the kind of abuse that she's received and she's done that specifically to uh, protect her family so i hope i've done some justice in kind of relaying that message um, because i think we always associate this kind of abuse with the racism that's been going on as well and you know that's been prevalent during the course of this season um but to bring you on the spot josh obviously this morning you shared in our whatsapp group around the online editor at your very own these football uh, times omar and he shared a statement on behalf of what you guys are actually doing um so for the benefit of listener what is the stance that omar has taken so he spoke to me and a number of the other people um some of the senior writers with uh, the magazine and we sort of came to the decision, primarily him, um, with our support, that a blackout wasn't really going to achieve that much. Especially the point we were making is that a lot of people got incredibly angry over the European Super League, but that same level of outrage has never really 
been channeled towards the amount of racist abuse that occurs during football. So Omar's point was, if people are prepared to get angry about, about racism, why would we go silent over the weekend? Because all that does is allow racists to get away without impunity. Because as it stands, at least there are people calling them out on it now. But if everyone falls silent, that's just four days where whatever abuse you want to direct towards a footballer or whoever is going to go completely unfettered. Um, so what we're doing over the weekend instead is we are sharing um, the work of some organisations that we'd encourage people to go and look at, um, with the four being Football Beyond Borders, um, Kick It Out, Show Racism, the Red Card, and uh, the Common Goal Anti-Racism campaigns. So we thought it would be a, a lot more helpful to highlight these charities and organisations than to simply go silent and ignore it. Um, I have to say, by the same token, um, we're not in any way denigrating the people that have decided that this is the way that they want to proceed by being quiet. So if that works for them, great, but we didn't really feel like it. No, I think that's a very powerful statement anyway from Omar, and he says it eloquently as well. Um, so I recommend the listener to search that statement because it certainly gives you a different perspective of how we should be really approaching it. And I think it says a lot about the Premier League in particular that they jump on this. Um, yet when you know this has been going on for the last few seasons, they've not done any kind of action. And if anything, I think I saw it as the players really instigating this action and this movement rather than the leagues who have been kind of jumping onto this bandwagon personally. Um, so like in that example of Lee Nichol, I feel sorry for her, you know, it shouldn't come to that. And I suppose the question that I had for you, both of you two was, do you think we need to have government involvement in terms of making this more of a crime? Um, because it doesn't seem like social media platforms are taking this serious or seriously enough. And it almost feels like until you put some repercussions for this act, because we're seeing, I think, like, kids really that are doing this abuse and they're not educated they don't really understand they're just doing it because they're being egged on sometimes and i'm not saying that is genuinely the case for every one of them but it does feel like that they just have a lack of understanding of what their actions are doing and if we had things like a criminal record for this then you might see less and less of it and I'm not saying that should be the way it should be approached, but certainly it feels like there needs to be a strong enough deterrent to stop this abuse, because at the end of the day, people should be allowed to voice their opinions and even not have that kind of level of abuse targeted to them. Um, but yeah, Charlie, get your thoughts on this. I mean, what would be your direction with this? Well, I mean, look, they're, they're obviously doing something to try and to try and combat it with this blackout, I think. What the way they're coming from it with this, from my point of view, would be, look, they'd be thinking like, you know what, footballers, um, sports stars, whoever is going to be taking part in this are some of the most active people on social media, you know, millions and millions of followers, you know, in, interact with their posts. So perhaps they're thinking like by blacking out, they're going to reduce sort of the activity levels on these apps. But in reality, look, we've seen similar things like this before, you know, not too long ago with the Black Square everyone was posting the black square like that that realistically that didn't really that didn't really do anything that hasn't mm. changed anything so 
I think it's one of those that until the deterrents are tough enough to stop people actually doing this in the first place, then this is going to continue to happen. I think I, I, I think there does probably need to be some sort of government involvement in terms of, as you mentioned, perhaps, you know, criminal records for for for, for this kind of behaviour. Um, I think there's a lack of education as well, whether that comes back to the education system or just in general, like people just seem to be so unaware of education in, in that particular area. And I also think on behalf of the social media companies, I think you've got to go through sort, some sort of identification process to actually set up an account because it's far too easy to yeah. do. Like any one of us three right now, not that we're going to, but we could just set up an account with an with whatever username, no photo, and just send whatever vile abuse we wanted to to anyone. And it, that, that just can't be the case. That Surely that just, it can't be that easy to access that and to do it. So I think... For for me personally, I think there needs to be some sort of criminal record, better education, and an ID or verification process that you have to do to actually create a profile. Because otherwise, this is just going to continue to happen, and nothing's going to be done about it. And Josh, I know there's even software out there that kind of, if you type in a certain word, it'll block you from actually doing that. But again, there doesn't seem to be much kind of action from social media platforms to kind of instigate that kind of thing. And I appreciate there is certain maybe free writers who will use language similar to that to describe stuff or just tell a story, for example, because it might be something that they put in quotation marks. So potentially that's what they're trying to protect. But surely when we've got certain emojis being used as well, for example, this is where it goes a bit beyond that and you kind of say right these platforms have to do a lot more to protect not just footballers but people in life just in general because you know we're talking here about just general abuse it's not just aimed at racism it's aimed at all sorts of derogatory kind of terms and bullying at the end of the day because kids go through that as well so yeah there's a wider context to this so, yeah, social media platforms, should we be at a point where, not quite North Korea, but we are starting to see some sort of involvement in terms of what these companies are doing? Yeah, I, that is potentially, because, I mean, I mean, they're all, they're all private businesses, aren't they? So they're, they're, their responsibility is their corporate stakeholders, they will claim, rather than their yeah. users, which, which is, is, is sad. And, but it's just, it's, I, I don't, I honestly... A fundamental level, it's a societal level, isn't it? Because yeah. no one's a racist in the same way no one's born a homophobe or a bigot. Like it's, it's a learned behaviour, but it's so hard to unlearn it. Because, I mean, I was a teacher for a couple of years, and once it's an ingrained behaviour, it's so difficult to unlearn it. So, you know, at a fundamental level, there probably has to be a, a way in which we address it in terms of... of children growing up and the way that they see other people in society but as it currently stands like maybe there should be prosecution but again it's so hard to prosecute someone because if you're an anonymous profile you know, how hard is it to track someone down but then by the same token like I've, I've read a lot of people's opinions on this and one that i wasn't really aware of until i had it pointed out to me is that something like twitter like, let's say if you did implement, you have to show your passport or your driving license or whatever to be able to get a profile. In the cases of people living in dictatorships or under authoritarian regimes, they use Twitter because they can be anonymous and because they can criticise the regime that is oppressing them. 
And if you're forcing them to submit their personal details, suddenly that oppressive regime can identify the people who are the dissidents. And then you're putting those people in danger. It's so difficult to know what to do. But it feels like it's got to the point where it's so easy to abuse someone that there has to be some sort of repercussion. Because it's just... I don't know. It's just, it's just quite frightening because I can't, I, I guess I'm, I don't know. I think I'm probably dumbfounded every time that Fred has a bad game and like, I tweeted about it the other day. I was like, you can criticize Fred for not being the best footballer in the world without being a fucking racist about it. Like Fred didn't play well today. And yet there's people putting emojis on his Instagram. I'm like, what the fuck do you think that's going to achieve? You're just being a horrible, horrible person without anything constructive to say, and your entire ethos and demeanor is simply to destroy someone. And there's actually no repercussions because it's just an on. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's really like we talk about Corona, you know, COVID nineteen being being a pandemic, but sometimes it feels like the real pandemic is just the amount that people can get away with online without repercussions. I wish I had the answer. No, I don't think we're going to solve it tonight. Let's put it that way. But yeah, there's our thoughts anyway for it. Right, we'll move into part two. And this is the part where I have to start impersonating David Mitchell and do that sketch where I kind of say, this is all about the football. So um, let's start with that soundbite right now. So on Friday evening, you guys are going to be blessed by Southampton versus Leicester City. I bet you cannot wait for that. However, other games to look abroad. So you've got Werder Bremen versus Leipzig and Marseille versus Strasbourg. Moving into Saturday, though, at um, Premier League level, we've got Palace versus City. So Man City at 12.30. At three o'clock, we've got Brighton versus Leeds. And the big game for you, Charlie, Chelsea versus Fulham at 5.30. So, um, yeah, be interesting to see your thoughts shortly. In Serie A, we've got Crotone versus Inter at 5pm and AC Milan versus Benevento at 7.45. In Ligue 1, we've also got PSG versus Lens and Lille versus Nice. Um, moving into Sunday in the Premier League, we've got Newcastle versus Arsenal at 2pm. Big game for you, Josh. Man United versus Liverpool at 430 And the big game that everyone's been waiting for, Spurs versus Sheffield United at 7.15. In the SPL, we've got Craig's favourite team, Rangers, playing Celtic again uh, at 12pm. For our women game listeners, so we've got the Women's Champions League. So Barcelona play PSG, currently one all in the first leg. And Chelsea women's playing Bayern Munich, currently Chelsea ladies losing 2-1 in that one. Uh, In La Liga, Valencia versus Barca at 8pm. In Serie A, we've got Sassuolo versus Atalanta at 2pm. Udinese versus Juventus at 5pm and Sampdoria versus Roma at 7.45pm. And in Ligue 1, we've got Monaco versus Lyon at 8pm. And anyone that fancies a hipster's kind of different approach, we've got the Russian Premier League, Zenit St. Petersburg versus Lokomotiv Moscow. So that's a quite a tasty one. Uh, we'll move into Monday and we've got West Brom versus Wolves, which is the Buck Country Derby followed by the Battle of the Clarets. So we've got Burnley versus West Ham before we go into our second leg of Champions League on the Tuesday and Wednesday nights. So, um, Charlie, we'll start off with yourself. Chelsea versus Fulham. 
a few weeks ago we kind of fancied Fulham to kind of have a bit of a revival but it's kind of uh, faded off of recent times um, but that said Chelsea have a tendency to kind of flunk these games but I expect it being a kind of derby it might be a tight game as well at the same time so yeah what's your expectations for this match? I mean, I fully expect us to get the business done. But then again, if you look back at our last couple of home games in the league, obviously we got embarrassed by West Brom 5-2. And then we had the goalless draw against Brighton, against teams that we should be beating. So, you know, yeah, you'd think that we'd be, we should be able to beat Fulham, but you just never know. I'll be interested to see how heavily rotated the side is, bearing in mind with Real Madrid on Wednesday night coming up, which is a far bigger game. Um, but... I mean, I suspect there will be changes because against Madrid, he named an unchanged lineup, and that's the first time in his in his reign that he, he he has done so. But I mean, Fulham they did have a mini revival, but they've kind of slipped back down now, and I think they are going to go down. I think they it's too 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 much for them to do. Um, so yeah, I'd fully expect us to beat them. But you know, as I mentioned, given our previous home games, last couple both winnable games, we we didn't get the business done. But yeah, you've, you've got to be confident going in, into this one. Um, so yeah, I just yeah, hope definitely. we can do it because it's crucial. Because it's crucial in the race for the top four as well. We we need we need to pick these points up. And Josh, what about yourself? Obviously, going into that game on Sunday with Liverpool, it'd be good to get one over on your rivals. But yeah, I, I suspect it's going to be a bit tight that game. I don't expect it to be free flowing football. Yeah, I mean, we're both. I think we're both unbeaten in the last five games. Um, so I think it's going to be it's going to be tight. Um, but I, I, we've got obviously we've got Roma again next Thursday, and then Villa after that. So I, I expect that Ollie will play a strong team against Liverpool and Roma, and then give players a rest against Villa. So given the way that Liverpool have got back into a bit of form now, they've got Diego Jota back, so they've got a bit more firepower up front. Um, but I guess it's a derby game, isn't it? So it form goes out of the window to a certain extent. Um, I mean, we're, we're pretty much guaranteed to finish above them in the league. So, you know, when Man United can't win the league, as long as we're finishing above Liverpool, then it's happy. Um, so, no, I, I'll watch it nonetheless. because it's, it's it's always the biggest game. I know I've talked about how much I hate Man City, but in Liverpool, I just one rung above them. So, um, okay. if we can do, one over, if we do them over, then I'll be a delighted man. No, you've definitely made that very clear that you don't like Man City, so I'll try and avoid that for future podcasts, definitely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll move into the end of the show. So thank you, listener. I hope you've been enjoying that particular episode. Um, just to make sure that you are sharing this with your friends and family and hope you subscribe to all of our social media platforms, including Twitter and Instagram. Obviously, we go live on YouTube as well on a Monday night. So um, please feel free to write some reviews. We'd love to see some more turn up as well. Um, so massive thank you to Josh and Charlie for being my Andy and Craig. Uh, start off with yourself, Josh. Um, as alluded to in the intro, you have got an episode of these Football Times podcast landing shortly. Uh, so for the benefit of a listener, when should we expect to see that land? Uh, that'll be on Monday because the latest magazine is going on pre-release on Monday. Uh, I can't say who it is, um, but it's a good one. It's a cult club and the podcast was all about the magazine. Um, but I can say that 
these football times are also reprinting their very first ever issue, which is the Argentina magazine, which a lot of collectors have been trying to get their hands on. So, uh, yeah, there's a big club coming on Monday, plus a podcast, plus a um, reprint. So it's, it's all busy. Oh, no, I did see your little teaser on the social media platform. I was tempted to put, is this Stevenage Borough? But I thought I'd get it. So, uh, <laughs> you can neither mind. confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie, uh, great having you on the show. Um, yeah, so literally, yeah, uh, we haven't got Facebook or Twitter, so just Instagram, blues underscore brothers podcast um you'll fi- find everything there to do with the podcast obviously new episodes drop weekly normally on a thursday on you know on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you want to get your podcast so yeah just check it out so uh thank you to our listeners hope you have a good weekend or week whenever you're listening to us but for now goodbye and i'll play you out to some david mitchell with all of the football it is impossible to keep track of all the football, but your best chance is here. Thousands and thousands of hours of football, each more climactic than the last. Constant, dizzying, 24-hour, year-long, endless football. Every kick of it massively mattering to someone, presumably. Watch it all, all here, all the time, forever. It will never stop. The football is officially going on forever. It will never be finally decided who has won the football. There is still everything to play for and forever to play it in. So that's the football. Coming up, watch it, watch the football, watch it, watch it, it's gonna move, watch the football, it's the ball!